name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send down your spirit upon us. Make us attentive to your presence and the presence of your Son. We ask that you <clears throat> help us to be generous with you during this, uh, during this time. We offer this all to Mary as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this next talk, we're going to move from boredom to distraction. Um, I'm going to read a passage to you from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. It's the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. <clears throat> then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you. And... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. <clears throat> so, something in my throat. Hopefully it disappears at some point. The, um, maybe the connection between the Bible passage I just read and our last talk is obvious in... Um, this talk, it's Jesus who goes to the desert. Uh, you might notice or know that this is prior to him doing any sort of um, public ministry. This is the first thing he does after he's baptized. He's baptized, and then it says the Spirit, so God, Spirit, leads him into the desert. So God is taking Jesus into the desert, and we kind of talked last time about why God might want um, to do that. He's going to be with his Father alone. Except, of course, as the story shows us, he's not left alone quite. There's someone else who shows up, and it's the tempter. The tempter tries to <clears throat> basically draw Jesus away from, um, from the mission that he's come to do, from his essential identity as the Son of God. And I'm going to kind of look at each of those temptations as sort of a form of uh, what in our life might be distractions. 
either in the general sense of living kind of a distracted, disintegrated life, or maybe, and then a little bit specifically about when we pray, um, distractions that might come up and what Jesus does and what um, God may be asking us to do. <clears throat> so the main thing though, the main kind of choice that is in front of Jesus is um, the choice of whether or not he's going to um, remain in the desert with his father or turn to something else. That's the kind of the choice that comes with the boredom that we talked about. Um, you can either lean into it, meaning not run away from it, or you can run away from it in a thousand different ways. I like to, there's like a, the image that I have of um, that moment of choosing whether or not to, to embrace or to run away is the moment after you've watched one episode on Netflix and the, you know, you shouldn't watch another one. Like there's, n it's not even like, it's not really what you want to do, but there's a, all the other stuff in your life that you don't, don't really want to do either. And you can watch the, uh, the next episode thing filling up, you know, that's the moment that we're talking about <laughs> is what you decide to do in that moment. Cause if you don't do anything, you're going to watch another episode, but if you choose, to hit the little X that's kind of hard to find um, intentionally, then, uh, uh, then you can come back to reality and to whatever it is that, um, that needs to be, uh, to be done or, or to be experienced by you. So that's kind of the, the place that we find ourselves when, uh, when distraction or temptation comes. Um, <clears throat> there, there are three things that, the devil tries to tempt Jesus with. And <clears throat> man, there are um, basically, there, there's a lot of different ways to interpret this particular passage uh, in scripture. It's pretty famous. Jesus' temptations have been looked at on, from a, a number of different ways. Um, but I've never heard anyone look at it specifically in this way, but I think it, it works actually pretty well. So the first temptation that... Um, Satan says to Jesus, uh, turn these stones into bread. You know, there's like the greatest understatement. It's like, and Jesus didn't eat anything for 40 days and for 40 nights, comma, and he was hungry. It's like, really? Why was that? Uh, <clears throat> so one of the temptations is uh, to turn away from focusing on his father to some sort of physical um, pleasurable good. At that point in time, bread probably sounded pretty good. And of course, Jesus says in response, you, man does not live by bread alone. The alone, of course, is important. Um, Jesus wasn't on a permanent hunger strike, you know, like he ate a lot. We actually hear about it in the Gospels, but, um, but it's not the main source of food. They're not the main, like existentially, not the most important thing. To make bread God or to make pleasure God or to turn to pleasure instead of God, that's the temptation. You know, <clears throat> like bored eating is actually a thing. You know, I don't have anything to do. That's annoying. So I'm going to eat something, right? Or there's all kinds of obviously um, <clears throat> other forms. I think someone's bringing you water for those of you who can't see what's going on. One sec. Hopefully that solves this. 
So the first temptation is to turn to some kind of pleasurable thing, <clears throat> which, of course, is probably what we think most of when we think of being distracted. <clears throat> Attention wanders to something that's more interesting, or we, you know, choose to, um, you know, go entertain ourselves, draw attention away from what's really going on in our interior life so that we can mindlessly consume um, some form of, um, you know, movie, entertainment, whatever. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. So those things might not be bad, but, um, <clears throat> but they're not, um, they can't be the center. <clears throat> they have to be in their, in their proper place. And the, the center, of course, is, our relationship with God, our life of prayer. So the choice is, do I sit in the desert with my father, even though I, I feel empty? Or do I go start, you know, feeding myself with other things, lesser things, obviously. So that's maybe the obvious one. The next one, the devil says, why don't you go up to this tower, the Temple Mount? It would have been this huge... <clears throat> Um, basically like a, the, there was a, this big wall um, uh, underneath the temple and he took him up to the, this place where Jesus could have like jumped off basically. And the devil's like, why don't you do that? And then God will save you. And everyone will be like, wow, look at you, Jesus. They'll be amazed at the spectacle of it. Um, and the kind of thing that came to mind as far as uh, the temptation to distraction there is um, instead of allowing God to be the one to pay attention to us, which, as we mentioned, can feel like a desert sometimes, sometimes we would prefer that other people pay attention to us to go kind of put on some kind of show. And, you, you know, you can apply that to many different scenarios to say, hey, look at me. Again, people paying attention to you is not a bad thing. Um, but if we're substituting others' attention, especially in a way if we're trying to put on a show so that, so that they pay attention to us, if we're substituting that for sitting with God and his attention on us, even when his attention feels kind of dry, then we're, we're, we're veering from, um, from the primary relationship from God. So Jesus rejects that as well, and he sits in the desert. And the last one <clears throat> is maybe the most interesting. The devil shows him basically all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, just bow down and worship me, and I will give you power over all of these. You can govern them all. And maybe you can do something useful for them. I mean, the choice is very clear. Reject your father. And in rejecting him, I'll allow you to do useful things even rule all the world. And Jesus, again, rejects it. I think the way that this one um, might come for us, there's a, there's a form of being living distracted or unrecollected, which isn't, you know, it isn't the, the Netflix version of being distracted or the eating a whole bag of Doritos form of distraction, um, you know, both of which I'm familiar with. My sister's here, she knows. Um, this one is the, the busyness distraction. Um, I have to be doing something useful for, to basically make my existence worthwhile. I have to be governing some little kingdom of mine. 
ruling something, fixing something, doing something in order to, to be okay. It might not look like distraction on the outside. It might look like we're hard worker or whatever. But um, if we're using that as a way to avoid the desert and the place where the Father wants to meet us, um, we're missing the main point. We can even do this in prayer. It's possible to, to have a whole list of things to do in prayer. I'm going to first do this in prayer, and then I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray this, and I'm going to you know, check those things off, and then I prayed. The whole time, maybe what God wants is us for to be in the desert for the reasons we mentioned earlier. All of, all of these temptations or distractions basically come from an unwillingness or a, a fear maybe of, of being poor in the desert with our Father, being useless in the desert with our Father, sitting, allowing him to stretch us so that he might give us himself in a new way. And Jesus doesn't buy any of them. Man does not live by, by bread alone. Don't put your Lord, your God to the test. And God alone is God. And him alone shall you serve. So just a couple more things. Um, one is we'll talk about why God might allow this to happen. And then I'm, I'm going to give some really practical tips I found helpful for my own, specifically for prayer, um, to deal with like to, to how to sit in the, in the desert with God. First question though is why, why does God allow it? You know, why does Jesus go out into the desert and then why couldn't he have just been with his father and why did the devil have to come and show up and do this? Same with us. Why can't we, when we actually choose to pray and lean into prayer, why can't it just be easy? Like, why can't, why does, why do I have to have all these things going off in my head or the list of things to do that I can't seem to shake or, uh, the desire, all I can think about is, you know, this person or this thing that happened to me today or whatever. Why is it hard? And why does God allow it to be hard? I think at least one answer to the question is it's an opportunity. God is giving us an opportunity to, to exercise our desire for him intentionally. You know, distraction or temptation or the pull to other things are, are kind of like the foil or the backdrop against which we affirm, no, God, I choose you right now. You know, at the end of the day, distraction doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It means probably you're human. Um, the question is, once it comes up, just like boredom, once it comes up, what do we do? And it's possible that what God is allowing us to do is an exercise of our desire, an intentional choice. It's like, this is a, I get to choose you right now. To have a choice, we need a couple of things. And I want to watch Netflix, but instead I'm going to pray. Like that's, um, that's what it is. Even though prayer seems like a desert. I think we also know that, <clears throat> just kind of an aside that Netflix is, I keep using Netflix, maybe it's because that's <laughs> what I watch. Um, that can be a desert too. You know the feeling of like the, the when you're watching and you shouldn't be, and it might be satisfying this level of you, but there is some level right here that is that is not okay with that. And choosing God is rejecting the superficial level to go to the level that that we really find ourselves and that He wants to find us at.
so just like boredom is a chance to be stretched for God, um, distraction is a chance to be ex- to exercise our desire for God in, uh, consciously. Just like Jesus did in the desert. <clears throat> so just a few maybe, um, like how do you practically apply this to your life, this idea? Um, one thing is, and maybe hopefully obvious, is that we have to choose to pray every day, even when it seems like it's not worth our time, even when it's hard. And to go into the prayer, um, seeking to desire God above all things, exercising our desire on a daily basis, and to relate to him really where we're at, honestly. Allow him to recollect everything so that'd be the, the first kind of main point. But then like in our prayer, when we do decide to pray and it's hard and it seems like it's dry or whatever, just maybe a few things. First thing, um, my spiritual director in seminary, he said, you know, at the beginning of prayer, um, well, St. Ignatius of Loyola said this actually, before you begin prayer or as you begin prayer, just for um, like 30 seconds, Uh, pause and remember that God is already paying attention to you. It's like you're coming into the reality. You're consciously recognizing that God has already been paying attention to you. And now you're going to pay attention to him. And what my spiritual director said, like maybe the prayer that you could pray is God, whatever, whatever time you have. So you have half an hour to pray or you can, that's what your, your allotted time. I give you permission to do whatever it is you need to do in me during this time. I give you permission. And what that does is it, it empties you of expectations because at the end of the day, God is God. He knows you are going to pray anyway. He knows exactly what you need better than you do. Um, you might think you need X, Y, and Z, and maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Maybe God wants to give you A, B, and C instead. And so you say, God, I give you permission. And that, destroys the, the, um, the image that, or the idol maybe even that you have of what prayer has to look like during this time. And then you let God be God. Like that's how you do it. Now, after that, it's good to have, you know, maybe some practices that you do. Maybe the rosary is fruitful or praying with scripture is always good. Um, so those things are good. But within those, you've given God permission to speak to you the way that he wants to or to seem like he's not speaking to you if he wants to seem like he's not speaking. Another a second kind of practical tip, well, maybe related to the beginning of prayer. So at, then at the end of prayer, so you prayed for half an hour, let's say it was you were super distracted and you tried your best, but it seemed like a really bad day for you and um, maybe you fell asleep for a little bit and it's just, you know, on the, on your image of prayer, it was pretty bad. You might say, oh, crap, I, I failed. But instead of doing that, <clears throat> you gave God permission to do whatever. You gave yourself as best you could at the end, saying our Father and thank God for the time of prayer, and don't judge whether or not it was good or not. It's not, you can't, you don't know yourself well enough. We don't know ourselves well enough to judge our prayer. We can't see what God is doing half the time or 99% of the time, maybe. Now, if you did see something that you are grateful for, obviously, if he did give you an insight or a consolation, 
tell him thank you. But if it seems like you sat in the desert for half an hour and were distracted by the lizard the whole time um, and didn't pay attention to God very well, okay, you chose to pray, you got, gave him permission, you did your best, and now you don't judge. You know, there's several saints who talk about falling asleep not being an obstacle to God working in you. Actually, in the, I was just reading this uh, Insinu Yezu, which is these words to a priest at prayer, and there's just one day God says, you falling asleep is not an obstacle to me working in you. We don't even have to be conscious for God to, to change us. Obviously, he made us when we weren't conscious. If he can make us out of nothing without our consciousness, he can heal us without our consciousness. He can form us without our consciousness. We come, we, we, I'm not saying you should bring a pillow and a blanket to, to, to pray, but if you happen to fall asleep, um, maybe you're tired and maybe God wanted to give you a nap. Like, that's possible. He does care about you. Right? He's not there to, um, to grade you based on the rubric that you've created in your mind about what prayer is supposed to look like. So you give God permission you could say thank you at the end regardless. And don't worry about the rest. The, another, another final thing. So if like in the middle of your prayer, as you, whatever practice you find most useful, whether it's meditation on scripture in Lexio Divina or the rosary perhaps or whatever, if as you're trying to focus on God in that way, in his word, and you let's say you've got this meeting after you're praying and it's like kind of stressing you out. And, and so you're, you're praying with the scripture. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you like wake up, you're like, wow, I was just thinking about that meeting for three minutes. So you try again. And then, and as you try again, what you shouldn't do is say, man, I'm so bad. God's so disappointed in me. I need to try harder. No surprise. You got distracted by the lizard. Like that's, normal the coming back to god at that point is your gift to him saying god that meeting was in my mind and now i'm turning away from it i'm exercising my desire for you no sweat in the words of john bohr um you're back with him there's actually um my a different spiritual director i had in seminary quoting his spiritual director once um who was probably quoting some saint said one uh, like a like a phrase that he would say when he when that would happen. So you're trying to focus on God's word. You find yourself focusing on the meeting, and then you choose to come back. Uh, the phrase he would say is softly, softly, meaning coming back, not with judgment at yourself or saying I messed that up and now I got to try harder. No, just come back as a gift to God. And that's it's possible that you could have a one set one prayer time where no distractions. You're focused on the word. You're really into the story the whole time. You don't think about anything else and great. Or you could have a different time where you're distracted a hundred times and you come back a hundred times. You choose to come back softly to God. It's possible that God is equally or more pleased with the other one. The one that feels to your point of view, like bad prayer might actually, <clears throat> he might be more uh, thrilled by that because of your, the great love that you've displayed in it, if that makes sense. So the last, and this is the last one. So if you find yourself praying, the meeting comes up, you come back 
And then uh, like uh, the meeting comes up again or whatever the distraction is, you come back. And then a third time the meeting comes up again, you're like engrossed in that world and you just can't shake the distraction. What I would do is I would just start talking to God about the meeting. Don't, you don't have to force it. The meeting is obviously a big part of your life at that point or whatever it is. So instead of saying that this is an obstacle to God and I need to repress it violently so I can focus on whatever, just take the thing and invite God into that and talk to God exactly why are you like, God, this meeting is stressing me out because X, Y, and Z. I sometimes when I'm in that situation where I'm kind of riled up, I like even will speak out loud verbally if I'm in a chapel alone. Um, if I'm with other people, I don't. Um, but because that, that act can, can really make in yourself, your body make the noises that are in your mind um, can really actually dial you in and, and allow you to express what it is that's going on interiorly. All of those advices are basically to say, advice, all of that advice is basically to say, prayer isn't a time to be worried or a time to, um, a time to be um, the one judging whether or not God is working. We're God's sons and daughters. Like that's, we say it all the time, but it's the most fundamental thing. And if we're doing our best with the skill and knowledge that we have to allow him in, um, at the end, uh, we can be certain that God will form us in the way he wants us to. The danger of judging is that we might be trying to form ourselves into something he doesn't want. He's not planning on making. So I offer that just hopefully as a way to um, direct your prayer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.